Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm also glad that the AC is working. As Tanner pointed out, if you weren't here last week, it was a little hot and I was sweating. And so hopefully I won't sweat up here tonight. But if I do, it's okay. Uh, just give me, give me a pass on that. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn it to 1 Corinthians. We've been in a journey. We're calling it Sinners and, and Saints. That's our study. Uh, in this letter uh, to the believers in Corinth. And as you find 1 Corinthians 1, I want to share a story. Uh, I think we've all had that moment where we're going inside a building and we needed to prop the door open. And so we looked for a doorstop. We couldn't find one. And so we just found whatever was near us and we propped the door open. Well, there was a man and he was in Michigan and he, he purchased a property, a farm, and uh, uh, this, this man had told him, hey, there's, there's this rock over here. I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a meteorite. And uh, so this man, he, he went about his life, and, and this rock, uh, he just used it as a doorstop. Uh, for, for 30 years, for over 30 years, this man used this rock as a, as a doorstop. Uh, to him, I suppose, all it was was just good enough to keep a door open. And I don't know why, but one day he decided that he would take this rock to uh, Central Michigan University to be examined by one of the professors there of geology. And uh, in an interview, here's what this professor said about the doorstop that this man was using. He said, it's the most valuable specimen I have ever held in my life. Come to find out, this rock was, in fact, a meteorite. It was a 22-pound rock and the supposed value of it was $100,000. It was an expensive doorstop. For 30-something years, imagine walking past a doorstop thinking, oh, here's that, there's that old rock. It's amazing how one person can, can see something and virtually think that it's worth nothing, and somebody else can see the same thing, and its value is so much. It's worth more than anything that they've ever held. And this is the idea that Paul shares in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We talked about it last week in verse 18. So chapter 1, 18, when we read that, we're going to get into chapter 2 here in a second. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says the message of the cross, the message of the cross, the gospel message, uh, the gospel message that unites us if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, the gospel message that we sing about. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the fountain of living water that, that we just got done singing about, that's available because of what Jesus has done. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They see no value in it. It seems like a fool's message. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So it's the same message that one group looks at it and they say, that's foolish. That, that is of no value to me. But another people look at it and they say, this message has changed my life and it's allowed me to see clearly. And so in verses 19 through 31, as we walked through last week, really what Paul did, he, he, he talked about this message. But there were many times where he was looking at it from the perspective of the unbeliever, where the unbeliever looks at the message and says that it's foolish. Uh, and the unbeliever would see that it's of no value. And so the question that I want us to ponder tonight before we get to chapter 2 uh, is, is the wisdom of God defining and directing your life? 
Because when we get to chapter 2, we're going to see that the wisdom God, the wisdom of God is found in Jesus Christ and in him crucified. And so the question, again, that we're going to evaluate, and I want, I, want you, I want you to consider this question. Is the wisdom of God defining and directing your life? And let me expound on that for just a moment, and then we'll jump in. Number one, is it defining your life? We've already looked at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first few verses we see that Paul defines who the believer is. And we could sum it up in the believer is a saint. And they're not a saint because of the good things they do. They're a saint because of what Christ has done in their life. So is God's wisdom in Christ defining who you are to where you are seeing yourself the way the gospel message uh, reveals you to be? And then is the, is the wisdom of God in Christ, is that directing your life? Is that affecting every, every thought and action? And none of us are perfect, but, but is the direction that we're headed, are we headed in that direction because God's wisdom is leading us and guiding us? So let's pray, and then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians 2. Father, would you lead us and guide us as we study your word? I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see the truths that we're going to study. And I pray that our hearts would be softened to receive uh, what you would have for us. Lord, I pray against any distractions, anything that's on our minds that would keep us from hearing from you clearly tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, we're going to try to push through and make it all the way. If not, then we'll just stop at some point uh, where, when, uh, when it's convenient for us. But we're going we're gonna to start at verse 1. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And I, brethren, so Paul's writing, again, he's planted this church in Corinth. He's writing this letter. Uh, he's writing to believers. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, uh, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. He's, he's referring to man's wisdom here. Declaring to you the testimony of God, verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, I like to underline things in my Bible. I like to circle things. And so if you're like that, underline that phrase, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the center of Paul's preaching and teaching. Jesus Christ and him crucified are, are the glasses by which Paul sees humanity and the world. And it is the same set of glasses that he wants uh, those in Corinth to put on so that they can see themselves in light of God's wisdom, in light of the gospel message, and to see the world, their city, their community, their families in light of these truths. This is the center of all of Paul's preaching. And so anything and everything that Paul says and does, it has this at the root, the gospel message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's not to say that Paul is not going to touch on various issues, because he does. And we're going to see more issues as we go on this semester. Uh, issues about relationships, uh, issues about sex, issues about division, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, issues about how to interact with one another. We see that at the root of all of these particular issues going on in Corinth, Jesus Christ and him crucified is at the center of it. And this is the message that many were calling foolish. But Paul calls it the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we're going to see a few points this evening. Number one, God's wisdom 
is a powerful message. God's wisdom is a powerful message. Listen to verses 3 through 5. Paul says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul, when he came to Corinth preaching and teaching about Jesus, planting this church, he didn't come in, as, as one pastor said, with a salesman mindset. Uh, we've all probably been to a store where there was somebody, or maybe there was a product that somebody was selling door to door. I've had some people do presentations to me to sell an item, and, uh, and some are pretty good. Uh, Angela, my wife and I, uh, we were at a, at a presentation for it was basically a timeshare, uh, and we went so that we could get a free vacation. We, we just had to say no for about an hour and a half. And so, but this guy, he was smooth. I mean, he was really good. I learned that I'm not vacationing good enough. I'm not on a yacht every, every year, you know, joining with my family. But he was talking about vacationing and, hey, you're doing it all wrong. And it was smooth and it was slick. But then I started to read between the lines. And I started to crunch the numbers. And I thought to myself, I can't afford any of this. I'm going to go into debt going on a vacation. But there was a smooth salesmanship. Paul didn't roll in like that. His message verbally and the way that we would hear it would have been very plain. It did not align with the rhetoric of the day in this Greek world, this Corinth world, an aspect of Greek where a lot of thoughts were shared and there were very eloquent speakers. Paul didn't want people to hear the message and to hear uh, the, the way that he spoke and it lead them to trust in him. He wanted them to trust in the message. He wanted them to put their faith in the message. So Paul didn't show up as a salesman. He showed up as a witness. He showed up as a witness declaring, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is what the truth of the gospel is. And he's presenting it. Some of you have seen some things before. You've experienced some things before. God has done something in your life, and you've told a friend. You've told a family member, and you are simply being a witness. You are simply declaring, hey, this is what God has done in my life. This is, this is what he has shown me. And a question that we need to ask ourselves is, is our faith in the message of the gospel, or is our faith in a person? And I say that because, think about this, there have been unfortunately many people, pastors, leaders in churches, believers in general, who've made some terrible mistakes. And because they made a terrible mistake, there were others who said, I'm not going to have anything to do with Christianity anymore. Because they saw a person fail or fall morally uh, an issue. And it would lead us to say, well, what was your faith in? Was it in the message of Jesus or was it in a person? Because if it was in a person, then yes, if that person messes up, if they make a mistake, then yeah, I might be, I might be uh, tempted to give up that faith. But if it's in the message of Jesus Christ, a message that's transformed my life, how can I, how can I leave that? How can I forsake that? 
When my faith is in the message of Jesus, I, I should be able to say, I've decided to follow Jesus, and though none go with me, still I will follow. Where else can I go? There's no other option. I'm going to follow Jesus. And when this powerful message is shared, the Spirit goes to work. I'm so glad that, that the Spirit can work despite me. Uh, that, that in spite of who I am and my weaknesses, that the Spirit can work. When we open up the Scriptures and we see what God has to say, the Lord works. He works, and he takes these words, and, and he applies them to our heart and to our mind. It's a powerful message. I'm so glad that when we simply communicate the message, it's not dependent on me. If it was dependent on me, uh, then I would have to work really, really hard only to find that I'm not good enough to change anybody's life. But praise God that this is a powerful message, and when it's declared, it transforms lives. God's wisdom is a powerful message, and it's centered around Jesus Christ and him crucified. Go back to verse 3. Verse 3 says, I was with you in weakness in fear, and in much trembling. Number two, God's wisdom is proclaimed through weak men and women. And praise God for this truth because none of us uh, deserve to be used by God. Some of you perhaps feel like God can't use you. Maybe you feel too weak, too inadequate. You don't feel like a gifted enough leader. You, you don't feel smart enough. You don't feel like you know enough Bible. You, you don't know apologetics enough. You haven't been to seminary. You don't know how to uh, study Greek and Hebrew things, and you hear other people, and they're quoting Bible verses, and you're like, man, I just, I'm not, I'm not good enough. Well, guess what? God uses weak people, and praise God for that. That, that It doesn't matter the issues that have been in your life. It doesn't matter your lack of ability, your lack of skill. God uses weak people. And in this moment, it seems as if Paul is displaying his humanity. And we see this in the New Testament. Sometimes we put Paul up on this pedestal and we say, man, Paul had it all together. Man, he was, he was this perfect guy. He's a church planner. He's going around and preaching about Jesus. But we see that Paul's just like you and I. And we just read, verse 3 says, I was with you in weakness. He's saying, I'm a weak person. He says, in fear. What was he fearful about? I, we don't exactly know. He says, and in much trembling. Now, we could debate about what the, what's going on here. Some people think that Paul's sick, that he's physically sick, that there's a physical issue. And, uh, and we do see in the New Testament where it would seem to indicate that at a time or for a long time, Paul had a physical issue. But I think that Paul was legitimately fearful. Was he fearful because of persecution, perhaps? Was he fearful because here he was again in another city that was probably going to be hostile to the gospel, and he's about to get up and start talking about Jesus, and he doesn't know how people are going to, are going to respond? I tend to think that there's a little bit of that. Now, there's a humility in Paul's mindset of how he understands, like, I don't bring anything to the table, but I'm here, and I know that God wants to work through me. Listen to Acts 18. In Acts 18, we see this church being planted. And it's interesting what God's word says in verses 9 and 10. So Paul, he's made to Corinth, 
And he's begun his ministry, but listen to verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And here's what the Lord said to Paul. Do not be afraid. So if we just stop right there, I think we can infer that Paul was afraid. He was fearful. There's, there, there's, there's fear in his heart. In the same way that some of you, God has called you to some things and there might be fear there. There was somebody that maybe he put in your path today and maybe there was a little fear because you weren't sure, should I bring up Jesus, should I not? Should I speak up, should I not speak up? What, what do you want me to do? Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night vision and said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. So Paul is right where a lot of us have been, where we're like, I don't know if I want to speak up. I've, I've known this person for so long. If I start talking about Jesus, they're going to think that I'm weird. They're not going to want to be my friend. I'm in a class filled with people who don't believe Jesus. I hear the things they say. I don't know if I can bring Jesus up. Or my coworkers, man, the language they use and the things they talk about, it, it makes me think that they're not Christians. And if I bring up Jesus, they're going to call me a wacko, a weirdo. What's God saying to Paul? Hey, don't be afraid. Speak. Do not keep silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. The, the, the picture was bigger than what Paul saw. God had a plan and he had a purpose and his eye was on his son, Paul, just like his eye is on his sons and his daughters in this room as we go about uh, our daily life and as we seek to point people to Christ. And verse 11 says, and he continued there. Paul, he clung to the words of the Lord. He clung to that truth. I'm with you. Did that mean that Paul, all his fears and anxieties were gone? I bet they weren't. I bet there were a lot of days of anxiety and fear and trembling, but he clung to the words of the Lord, which said, I am with you. And Paul continued to go. A weak man, anxious, fearful, trembling, possibly sick, but he clung to the truths. Some of us in the room have to stop listening to our feelings. We've got to start listening to God's word. What is true? What has God said? Cling to that. God told Paul, I am with you. I am with you. And here's the thing. Paul, a weak man, proclaimed a powerful message. And that message was powerful, not because of Paul, but because the message was the message of God. It contained the wisdom of God. The other day, I, uh, I renewed my passport, and so I had to go take one of those weird passport photos where you can't, you can't smile, you know? And so I'm, I'm, I'm not smiling. I look like I just committed a crime in my passport now. I'm like, right now, every time I show this to somebody, they're going to think I'm some bad guy. And so I sent it off, and uh, a few weeks ago, I got my, my new passport back. And, and that passport is really important. In a way, it's quite powerful because of the agency that it comes from giving me approval to travel to various countries. If I want to do any international travel, i got to have that thing. It needs to have the seal that it has on it. It needs the special papers with all the, the, the special things on there. Here, here's, here's the thing, though. The, the mail person delivered it to me. 
And, and they, don't, they don't have the power to tell me if I can go to another country or not. But they did deliver this little booklet that says that I can. And in the same way, you and I, as, as male men and women, if you will, we don't have the power and the authority to save somebody or to change a life, but we can deliver the message. And so the power does not rest upon you and I. The power is in the message. And so if you speak up with a trembling, stuttering voice, and if you feel weak and inadequate and not knowledgeable enough because you've recently surrendered your life to Christ, or you just don't know scripture well enough, I've got good news because God uses weak people. He uses weak people. And we see that that's what he did in Paul's life. If we keep looking, uh, we see in verse 6 where Paul says, however, so he, he wants to make something clear. He said, however, uh, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Uh, so let's pause here for just a moment. So we've seen in chapter one where God's wisdom was contrasted with human wisdom. And the human wisdom that Paul was referring to was this human wisdom that is Christless and crossless. So it, it, is, it is not a wisdom that is based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, it is a viewing the world outside of the view that, God's, that God gives us through his word. And so in this conversation about wisdom and about the message, uh, Paul, he wants to be very clear. That although there are people who are calling this message foolish, he wants them to be clear. Like, I did come with wisdom, but it's not wisdom of the world. And I didn't come with wise words like you're going to hear down the street with the philosophers and all this. But I did come to Corinth with wisdom. So he says, we, he says, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So he didn't come with the wisdom, uh, the, the, the common wisdom of the day. And here's why this is important. Paul is basically saying, look, I came with a, a wisdom from God, and it's a minority position. The rulers of this age, they don't have this wisdom. Uh, the rulers of the day, uh, those in the society, they don't have it. It's a minority position. But he says, I, I came with it, though. It's wisdom of God. And today, in our day and age, we need to recognize that there are many thought leaders that are speaking into some of society's deepest issues but they're coming at it from a vantage point that is Christless and it's crossless. And it is a particular perspective. And I respect various perspectives, but the one that I'm going to embrace is going to be the one that has Christ and him crucified at the center. And this is the one that Paul is saying, hey, embrace this. This is God's wisdom. It's not the wisdom of this day. It's not the wisdom of this age. In Paul's day, the rulers of the age, they held a particular wisdom, human wisdom, that did not align with Christ and him crucified. And in our day, here's the thing. 
If there's a particular vantage point on the world that doesn't see sin as the problem in our world, then it does not have a solution. There are a lot of thought leaders, pod people that are on podcasts, on, on news channels, there are politicians, influencers, amateur philosophers, professional philosophers, on and on. And in speaking into the issues of this world, if they do not recognize sin as the problem, it's not a problem, it's the problem. It's not, oh, well, we got this is a problem, and this is a problem, and, and this is a problem. No, no, no. If you don't recognize sin as the problem, you don't have the answer. And we've seen that all throughout history. Look at society. Man's kingdoms fall. Man has attempted to right all wrongs only to find himself back in wrongs. The only viewpoint that is correct, that is biblical, is one in which sin is the problem and Christ and him crucified is at the very center, the core of the answer and the view so that we can see our world clearly. Human wisdom has, has come to nothing throughout history. That does not mean that science is incorrect or that doesn't mean that science is not beneficial or this and that. I'm speaking about worldviews and seeking to answer life's deepest questions, the questions that philosophers discuss, the questions that are beyond science and beyond the things that we can even test. We see that if it's a viewpoint outside of Jesus and him crucified, it ain't the right answer. Verse 6, however, we speak wisdom. So Paul's saying, hey, we've got a wisdom that we're communicating among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. And we're going to continue to see that the thought leaders of today who have a Christless, crossless worldview, it's going to come to nothing. It will come, I don't care how many degrees somebody has. I have several. It, that doesn't make me wise. I can guarantee you that. And some of you that know me well know that, man, well, you, you got degrees? Well, I somehow I managed to get some. I don't care how many degrees somebody has by their name. A, 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 a viewpoint, a perspective that doesn't involve and isn't rooted in Jesus and him crucified is nothing. And you don't have to have degrees to come to what is true and what is right. It's coming to nothing. Verse 7 says, but we speak the wisdom of God. That is the wisdom we all need. If you walked into this room longing, hurting, looking for answers, I can guarantee you the answer is not found in whoever thought leader is out there speaking about whatever this and whatever that. The, the best self-help book is not going to give you the answer, but it is found in the wisdom of God. That's what you need. You need to think about things from God's perspective. That is the answer to whatever's going on in your heart right now. But Paul says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, number three, God's wisdom is available to the mature. Okay, let me clarify this. Number one, God's wisdom is available to all. It's available to all. Okay, if you, if you are somebody exploring Christianity and you're looking for answers, let me be very clear. God's wisdom is available to you. But in our text right now, 
Paul is writing to people who have already responded to the gospel message. And he wants them to grow in wisdom. He wants them to grow into maturity. And so he says, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. So there is a group potentially in Corinth who are believers, and they are walking in the Spirit. They're submitted to the Spirit of God, and they are what we would say spiritually mature. And so the things that Paul, that he says, that are rooted in Jesus Christ and him crucified, the things that the world would say are foolish— well, those who are in Christ and are submitted to the Spirit, they are growing in maturity. And they're receiving everything that Paul is saying, and it is, it is growing them. And God is taking them deeper into a relationship with him. But we see that there are probably those in Corinth who were not mature. They were those who had received the gospel but they started to listen to so many voices, and they weren't growing spiritually because they were not walking in the Spirit. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 4. Uh, you can read it later, but basically Paul addresses, and, and he says that some of them, they are carnal. They're a carnal Christian. Uh, they are a Christian who is listening more to their flesh and to their senses than they are the Spirit of God. And so there is a group in Corinth who is potentially spiritually mature because they are walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit. And then there's a group of Christians in Corinth who they have the Spirit of God indwelling them, but instead of submitting to the Spirit and growing in maturity, they are listening to their flesh. They're listening to their senses, what feels good. What sounds good, I will believe it. And that was just common practice. It's common practice for today. It would have been common practice in Paul's day. But those walking in the Spirit, those are mature. And Paul says, hey, we come bringing the wisdom of God. But some people aren't receiving it because they're not mature. They're not listening to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is revealing things to people. But to some of them that aren't listening to him, he's not revealing anything. According to verse 7, the wisdom of God is a mystery. It is unknown to many. It was unknown to those who arrested Jesus. It was unknown to those who crucified Jesus. It was unknown to the demonic forces how Christ would triumph over the cross and death and the grave. And verse 8 says, had they known, had they known the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I, this, this, I think this makes plain sense. If you could look at one of the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, who's nailing nails into Jesus' hand, or if you could look at, uh, at Judas or some of these others who are involved in the arrest, I think that it's safe to say, had they known the wisdom of God and God's full plan and that Jesus is the Lord of glory, had they known these things, they would have... They would have not dared put a nail in his hand. They would have not dared do these things. And for some of us, we would say, well, good grief. Like, why, was, why was that hidden to them? Well, let's go on a, just a very brief rabbit trail. We don't have a lot of time to do this, but I'll just say this. There, there, are, there are times in the New Testament, as you've read, where Jesus will heal somebody, and he would say, hey, hey don't, don't tell anybody that I just did that. 
And if you've ever read that, you've probably been like, why, why is Jesus telling this guy to be quiet about a miracle? Well, what we see is that Jesus was making sure he was going to get to the cross. That's, that's in a nutshell. He's making sure that he's going to get to the cross so that he can be the once-for-all sacrifice. It's interesting. If you look at the parables, the parables didn't always clear stuff up. A lot of times they confused, and they kept certain things hidden. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons, I believe, is so that Jesus could go to the cross to die for all. And so there have been some things hidden. And they were hidden from those that crucified Jesus. But some of those, and I don't have a particular name, but I wonder if some of those that crucified him are some of those who were early believers. Some of those who were perhaps standing there mocking him at the cross perhaps showed up at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and heard Peter preach. And they said, I'm following Jesus. Perhaps the very ones that heard a parable, but it was hidden to them, and that paved the way for Jesus to go to the cross, because Jesus was going to go to the cross. He was going to go to the cross because that's why he came to seek and save that which was lost. And if you walked in tonight and perhaps you felt lost, let me tell you, somebody loves you enough, they died for you, and his name is Jesus. And in Jesus, we find the wisdom of God. But that wisdom was hidden for a time in the Old Testament. The prophets didn't fully understand what God was going to do in the future. In fact, uh, Paul, he, he talks about this uh, in, uh, in, in, in verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says, but it is written, I has not seen. And he's quoting, by the way, from Isaiah. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So this is a quote where Isaiah is, is talking, and, and there's some unknowns. There's some unknowns in the Old Testament where God has revealed certain things, but people don't know how it's all going to work out. There was, there was some hidden things. But, verse 10 says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. So the time of God's wisdom being hidden is passed for those who have discovered them through the Spirit. Discovered, probably the wrong word to use there, but for those who have experienced and seen by the Spirit. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Point number four, God's wisdom is made visible by the Spirit. And so quickly, just understand the Spirit's role in helping you and I understand the gospel message and apply it to our life so that we can receive God's wisdom. Let's go back to the thought. You have some who are submitting to the flesh. They're rejecting the wisdom of God that the Spirit would give to them because they are not listening. They're not listening to the Spirit. So the Spirit would give wisdom, godly wisdom, to every aspect of this person's life but they're listening to the flesh, whereas those who are spiritually walking with Christ, they're mature, they are growing in godly wisdom, and they're growing in their ability to walk in God's wisdom day in and day out because they are submitted to the Spirit, and they're walking that out. Verse 11 says this, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? So Paul, he's, he's given a little analogy here. He's saying, hey, men understand men. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. 
And so we aren't God, so we can't know what's going on in God's mind and what he's doing. But the Spirit of God given to the believer makes known the ways of God. And God's wisdom that we can't know because we're humans, it's available to us because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And through the Holy Spirit and through God's word, we can grow in godly wisdom, a wisdom that is rooted in Christ and him crucified. Verse 12, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. There are some of us in the room that are Christians and we're listening to our flesh and the things that have been freely given to us by God are actually foreign to us because we're not listening. Some of you, you've probably experienced this. As you have grown to maturity and as God has made his truth alive in your life and you came to know God's love on a deeper level because God's spirit worked in your life to reveal some things to you. But there is a group of Christians who've received, but perhaps are walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. And so there are things that God would have them know that are true of them, but they are not listening. And in John 14, 15, and 16, I'd encourage you to check those out because in, in each of those chapters, there are, there are a few verses where we see the role of the spirit. He abides with us, dwells in us. He's, a, he's full of truth. He's referred to as the spirit of truth. He's a teacher. Uh, he points us to biblical truth. He testifies and glorifies Jesus. He convicts us of sin. He guides us into truth. Praise God for the work of the Spirit. Apart from the Spirit, you and I can't understand God's Word. We have to have God's Spirit. You can go to seminary. You can get a PhD. You can go teach at a, you can go teach at a seminary, at a Bible college. Apart from the Spirit of God, you will not come to know God's Word. Good news is for you, you don't have to go to seminary to come to know God's word. You need the spirit of God to lead you and to guide you into all truth. You need the spirit, and I need the spirit to open up our minds, our hearts, to receive what God would have so that we can understand godly wisdom. Verse 13, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches. So Paul's already said that. Hey, I don't come with human wisdom. But which the Holy Spirit teaches. So what some people call foolish, it's actually godly wisdom, and it's what the Holy Spirit is teaching. Comparing spiritual things to spiritual. Verse 14. But the natural man, the, the person who is unsaved, or the person who is consumed by their flesh. They're not listening to the Spirit. They're not responding to the Spirit. The natural man. Uh, the, the person who is, is all about what feels good, what, what, what sounds good, my senses, the person who is sensual, consumed with their senses, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. So perhaps, I'm just going to throw it out there, if you have longed to hear from the Lord, and I'm not talking about an audible voice or, or a dream, but if you have longed to hear from God through uh, His Word, you have to ask yourself, am I characterized by the natural man? where I'm really just listening to my senses and my flesh, or am I attuned to the Spirit and what he would have to say in his word? The natural man does not receive the things that Paul's talking about. The natural man rejects those things for their foolishness to him. Their foolishness. 
It is not a surprise that the world would look at us, look at what we're studying, and that they would scoff and laugh, and that there would be silly comments and remarks on a Facebook post or on an Instagram post or on whatever is going online or on a news show where they're poking fun at Christians or a comedy or a movie where they're going to paint the Christian out to be the idiot. That's what the world does. It looks at what we believe, and it says, oh, that's foolish. That's foolish. The natural man rejects these things, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit has to be in the process of us understanding these things. Verse 15 says, But he who is spiritual judges all things, and he himself is uh, rightly judged by no one. Uh, so the person who is spiritual, they're led by the Spirit. They can see things as they are and how they should be. And so because of that, they can be a judge of all things, a discerner. What I would say to put it, uh, to put it uh, simply is that the one who is spiritual can clearly see. They can clearly see. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. If you're going to walk in the spirit and you're going to embrace godly wisdom, the world is going to look at you, and it's not going to make sense, and they're going to, quote, unquote, judge you incorrectly. They're going to have improper judgment on you and on situations and so on and so forth. Last verse, verse 16. Uh, and, Ben, you guys can go on and come up. Verse 16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? So none of us know the mind of the Lord, right? Apart from Christ, we, we cannot know the mind of the Lord. Uh, we, we need help. But we have the mind of Christ. Number five, God's wisdom allows us to have the mind of Christ. Because of God's spirit being sent into us, we can know how God would have us to think and act and move. We can have the mind of Christ. We can know how to operate in this world. We can see clearly. The, the glasses have been, have been put on so we can see clearly. Uh, we can see things as they ought to. We can, we can respond how we ought to. And so the question I began with, is the wisdom of God defining and directing your life? Is the wisdom of God defining and directing your life? I'll close with a story. Um, years ago, there was a group of missionaries that took the gospel message, uh, the message of Christ crucified, the message that, as we just read, some call foolish and and we call wisdom, God's wisdom. They took the message to a particular location in India. And one of the missionaries shared the gospel to a man named Nok Singh. Remember that name. N-O-K-S-E-N-G, Nok Singh. And Nok Singh, he heard the message of the gospel and he responded. He, he trusted in Jesus as his Savior. And, and, and not just him, but his wife trusted in Jesus and his two kids. And there were others in the village that, that also turned to, to Jesus. Well, upon hearing this, um, there were some in the village that were angry. In fact, one of those who became angry was the chief. Not only did the chief of this particular village think that the message was foolish, he thought it was such a horrible thing that these folks had done that he demanded that Knox sing recount his faith, otherwise he would kill him. And so Noxing, he's in front of the chief and many others present to hear, and the chief, he, he has this, de this death threat on Noxing's life, and he says, recount your, recant your faith. 
denounce Jesus as your Savior. And Noxing, he responds, he says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The chief commanded for Noxing's children to be shot. And so both children received an arrow that pierced them, and there they lay before their dad, who has claimed to follow Jesus. And the chief, he continued to look at Noxing, and he told him, take, take away your statements about Jesus, otherwise I will kill your wife. And I imagine with tears in his eyes, Noxing responded, though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Noxing's wife lay dead now before him. His children are dead, his wife is now dead, and for the final time, the chief asked Noxing to deny Jesus Christ. And at this point, Noxing gladly said these final words. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. And in that moment, Noxing was shot, an arrow pierced him, and he stepped into eternity with his family. And while there was a reunion in heaven, and celebration in heaven, there was a revival that actually broke out in Noxing's village. The chief could not understand what had just happened and what he had just seen. And it impacted him in such a way that in that moment, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. And the chief of this village, he couldn't understand why someone would, would die for this what was once a foolish message. But what was once a foolish message became something of prized Value And as people saw the chief say, I too am going to follow Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. Others in the village began to follow Christ. And the whole village said, we will follow Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? I don't know what you've done with the message of the gospel, but you're doing something with it. You're either treating it like a foolish message or you're treating it like it's the most valuable thing in this world. For those of you that don't know Christ, you've never tasted his goodness, his forgiveness, and his mercy. Tonight's your night. Turn to Jesus. Receive his mercy and forgiveness. Put your faith in him. Don't put it in a place. Don't put it in a church. Put it in Jesus Christ, and you'll find forgiveness of your sin. You'll, for, you, you'll, you'll find that you have uh, a father that loves you and cares for you. You'll find life. Father, thank you for your word. Would you speak it to us as we close in this song where we love you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.